Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. I feel bad because I brought you to a place that I feel comfortable with on our first date. First dates are always weird. My pets just sweat when I'm nervous. Feel my hands. Oh, your hands are sweaty. Do you want to stay over or? I have to let my dogs out. Who let your dogs out? Do you want me to bark? No, 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 you don't have to. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Sid, Tom's brother. You could yell at him all you want, much like his wife Janet does. He pushes my buttons. I idolized him. When you say it like that, it makes me feel bad for him. You are the co-chair. The Penn Reunion, isn't that cool? All of our coordinating will be done on Facebook. You need to get on social media pronto. The whole world is online. Tell me about it. I even got my law degree online. Uh, Did I ever tell you that I was friends with someone famous in college? She's a pitch-perfect actress. You were friends with Elizabeth Banks? Yes! And she knows who you are? Yeah. I mean, I think she does. Dear Elizabeth, I just remembered something you used to do in college. You would wave and you would say, Eat Wheaties! Dear Elizabeth, random, but do you remember I was in that comedy improv troupe, Booty and the Ho Fish? Do you remember when we took intro? Eat Wheaties. Eat Wheaties. Eat Wheaties. Who's Sid Straw? He says he's a close acquaintance of Elizabeth Banks. There is no such thing. He's writing crazy posts on Elizabeth Banks' fan page. They went viral. What does that mean? It means a lot of people saw it. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 342. Releasing April 30 in theaters across the US and on digital is Eight Wheaties, a comedy that stars Tony Hale as Sid Shaw, an eager to please every man whose life unravels when his obsession with proving that he's friends with actress Elizabeth Banks leads him to becoming a viral sensation. An underdog story that superbly blends cringe comedy and heartfelt drama, Eight Wheaties also delves into the nature of celebrity during the social media era where fame often does not bring good fortune. And joining me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is a director and writer of Eight Wheaties, Scott Abramovich. Scott, I thank you very much for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. So it's really interesting this movie is based on this book called The Lockley Letters, um, released in 2003, written by Michael Kuhn. That novel had to do with um, Sid Shaw, the character of Sid Shaw, his obsession with, with Heather Lockley, which for people of my generation, your generation, knew back then as kind of like the biggest kind of like star it was, especially on TV. Um, what was it really about that novel that really spoke to you that wanted you to adapt it, not only you know, to the big screen, but to have it also as your direct directorial debut? Uh, it's an interesting question. I, because when I first read the book, uh, I was, I was just starting, I was, a, I was just starting out as a writer um, and uh, hadn't started producing yet. And uh, I was a friend of mine uh, named Evan Shankman, who I had uh, gone to school with, who was working with uh, Michael Kuhn, who, who the writer of the novel at a, at a law firm, actually. And he suggested I take a look at it and maybe you could make a movie. I read the book. I loved it. Uh, at the time that I read it the first time, 
I didn't quite see it as a film. I mean, it's it's an epistolary novel, which is all told through letters, and it's it's brilliant and funny. Uh, and the character of Sid Straw is 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 clear and uh, um, you know really sharp, sharply written. It's all told through his voice. But the challenge of turning that into the mo- into a movie at that time, I just I didn't quite see that story being um, relevant enough to to you know to make a film around. And I, I reread it again years later after he'd written a sequel. Um, and that brought me back to the to the, Locker, the Locklear letters. And um, the thing that stood out to me is that in the in the 10 years or so, or maybe it was more than that, it was probably maybe 12 years uh, in between the time that I read it the first time and the second time, the world had changed. And particularly uh, social media um, had made two things different in the way that I saw Sid's story and why I could make a film. The first was that uh, you know, this illusion of access to celebrities, uh, that this feeling that, you know, on social media that they're right there and that, mm. and that you can tweet out to them and, 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 you know, put them on uh, your friends list and, and uh, post on their wall. And it feels like they're right there. Um, and at the same time, this idea that uh, somebody could do or say something that, uh, that on social media that causes ripple effects in their life, um, that are, you know, innocuous from the things that they were trying to accomplish, whether you're trying to make a joke or saying something that uh, that came off as as strange or creepy or, you know, in the way that it does in the film. So both of those ideas, which were really built into the into Michael's book, but it's just in a different way, um, they suddenly felt really relevant. And um, and that's that's where uh, I reached out to Michael and asked him if the rights of the were available, um, because at that time I had already started producing as well and had knew that I could make this movie. Um, now, in terms of directing it, I wasn't quite sure that I was gonna direct this, uh, but the, the more I got into it, uh, the more I really fell in love, not just with Sid's story, but what this idea of looking for connection means. Um, you know, I think there's, there's lots of people in my life and parts of myself, I think that are, um, that are related to Sid's journey that I felt really uh, personally connected to. Hmm. And, uh, and so I, I, at, at some point I realized that I, I don't think I could pass this off to somebody else to tell the story and that I needed to do it myself. You know, adapting this uh, book is like the, the challenge is twofold. You mentioned before you are, are adapting it to, to modern times. Um, whatever social media was in 2003, I don't even know if really, if it, I'm just, it's so hard for me to think back of the time before it to you, the truth. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, it's also, like you said, the, the book is a series of letters. And here in uh, your movie, Eat Wheaties, um, you you really do flesh out Sid's world. You talk, you have his family and you have his job and all these other stuff as well. Um, does it all begin with Sid in regards to adapting it into uh, a film? Um, does do you have to cre- kind of create a world for him that is um, palpable for us to watch and to and to feel and to understand his interactions not only with his family but with the outside world as well? I think it does start with Sid, but I think the uh, the challenge and the fun part actually, because you know, so I've adapted books before where I've loved so much of the book, and and the and the challenge is really cutting things out. I think for this book, it was really exciting to actually build out some elements that weren't quite fleshed out in the book. So you know, creating uh, a, a fuller a fuller version of Sid's uh, Sid's brother and his sister in law, yeah. um, you know, his his parents. 
um, which, you know, there's, there's a, some jokes in there in the book about uh, his relationship with his mom. But, um, you know, moving back into his, his parent, his parents house was something that I, I know visually was going to um, was going to have some fun elements to it. Uh, and really just finding finding a way to make the arc of uh, of the character a little more um, a, a little more tra transparent because it, it you know the book the book has a lot of the same story beats um, you know the challenge was to really articulate not from Sid's perspective but from others' perspective how uh, how they're perceiving him and what what really he needs to do to change the way, not only the way that they perceive him, but the way he perceives himself. Um, and so that was that was actually a lot of fun. I mean, and casting both Tony Hale and uh, David Walton was another uh, actor who um, came on early enough that we were able to actually sit down and talk about the relationship between the brothers, because that was the key to me, to making the audience understand uh, what Sid's issue was and why you know why why he his struggles to connect were something that we should uh both care about and also potentially relate to and i think you know his the relationship with his brother was was showing how you know when he's with him he's on the inside of the jokes and and you know when he's not with him uh he's on the outside and people are are not getting him and and not connecting with him yeah yeah um the other thing he had kind of had to, had to change there was the the celebrity in question. Um, of course, likely letters had to do with Heather Lockley. Here, the celebrity is Elizabeth Banks. How did it come to choose Elizabeth Banks as the as the person who Sid would eventually obsess over? Did you have a list of celebrities you were looking at? And how did Elizabeth Banks be, be the one to be chosen at the end there? I So what I did was when I, when I was updating the, uh, the film, I made a list of actresses who would be around Sid's age that really went to college and graduated from college ideally because I felt like to create a fictional celebrity, it didn't make sense to use Heather Locklear for sure. Mm. Uh, and to create a fictional celebrity felt uh, like it would potentially take you out of the movie. Um, but, but by using Elizabeth Banks, uh, it was an opportunity to not only um, you know, say something about uh, who the celebrity is, what she means. You know, Elizabeth Banks was so perfect because I think uh, the perception of her is that you know she's she's relatable and nice and is the kind of person you can imagine being friends with Sid. But also, she has a, a huge social media presence, mm. and I think that also was part of, of what uh, drew me to have her at the top of my list. Uh, and she went to University of Pennsylvania, which is a, a great school. Uh, it could show, you know, the, the fact that Sid went went to that school, I think says something about his uh, his intelligence and I think who, who he was back then to be able to, to get in and graduate um, from there. And uh, reaching out to her, you know, it was, it was very uh, anxious written because I, I was hoping she would say yes, but really, so invested in this, uh, you know, in this part of the story that if she said no, I think it would have it would have been a, a real, um, real letdown. But she said yes, and the and the University of Pennsylvania said yes, and they were so helpful. They sent us a whole bunch of really cool swag that we were able to put up in the film, awesome. pennants and t-shirts and mugs and all stuff that you see around Sid's room in his office, uh, and even General Mills with the with the Wheaties. Like we were really so lucky that people saw 
um, what the story meant and what it, what it was standing for, and just this idea that that despite what uh, the perception of him was from other people, that Sid Sid's tendency to try too hard and say too much were um, were not flaws in way in the way that other people were seeing it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned before in regards to um, to Sid, um, he you know. In a lot of ways, he's the comedic foil, but he's also such an empathetic character as well. Um, you really feel his loneliness um, throughout the movie. And Tony Howard does such a, a great job really kind of bringing that balance between the awkward and the sincere. Um, and it's really interesting because Tony Hale's like people know him from his stuff in the Arrested Development and Veep as well. And um, he's kind of like a character that people kind of, uh, and that those characters people laugh at him. Um, and when you see that he's kind of like that at the start of the movie, but as the film kind of moves on, his arc kind of changes, you, that kind of, that does change as well. And, you know, there were parts in the movie that Tony's performances made me laugh out loud. There's a particular part um, near the film's conclusion that really made me well up. Um, you know, when you watch a character like, like an actor like Tony take on a character like Sid and takes on your words and really brings his character to life. What's that experience like on the set watching Sid Shaw come to life in front of your eyes? Oh, it was, it was, well, from, from a director's standpoint, it was the greatest gift that I could have had. Uh, it was, you know, it made my job so much easier um, to, to, you know, navigate the challenges of making a, a low budget film on a, on a short schedule, knowing that I had, uh, Tony, who was, you know, pretty much in every scene of the film, um, as, as, you know, not just the ultimate pro, but the ultimate collaborator, um, you know, he, he was, he was able to, um, he was able to get who Sid was from the get-go, but also bring so much of what, you know, he connected with, of, to the character into, our conversations then and, and into rewrites so that by the time we got to the set you know we had been working together uh for i would say uh, maybe a year already and just been talking and figuring out how to make that story uh work so you know his look his comedic talents i think are are incredible also his ability to you know from from so much of his tv work he's he's always next to uh somebody who's funny as well and he's so great at at you know, taking taking the the center of attention when it's necessary, but also you know his generosity as a performer to let the people around him shine uh, in their moments was just it was just a huge huge asset to to both me and to the film. Um, the rest of the cast is terrific as well. You got Elisha Cuthbert, um, Alan Tudyk, um, Sarah Clark. You also have Paul Walter Hauser, and he's one of those actors that to me whatever he appears in i want to watch it because i know he's going to be terrific in it um he's kind of like what william h macy was to the 90s and what john hawks was to the 2000s um he's that kind of character actor that journeyman actor that's just terrific in every role um getting him on board this movie how much of a, of a joy was it working with him and there's one particular scene i want to ask in regards to paul walter hauser there's he there's a scene near the end of the film where he's he's threatening to staple his, his hand with a stapler was that something that was in the script and something improvised because it seems like something that felt kind of improvised on the screen oh yeah that was that that was uh the take that uh i i was praying not to screw up <laughs> um paul paul was the secret weapon that we didn't know we'd have because you know i was so lucky that i was able to get my first choice on pretty much every character on on the screen yeah um and 
I never thought Paul would, would, would do this film. I mean, I, I really, we didn't ask him at the start because I, I just, it, it, it's, it felt out of reach for exactly the reasons you said, uh, you know, seeing him, you know, in the films that he had done, uh, it was like, um, you know, this sort of uh, over the moon kind of reach that just didn't feel right. Cause every, everyone we went, we went to, I really felt that, that there was a good chance they would say yes. Anyways, we had an actor that was that was that we loved for the for the part, but we just couldn't make the schedule work because some of the locations that we needed were only on the weekends. And so we're really we're a day into shooting, never mind before shooting. And uh, and we're realizing it's not going to work with that actor. And um, and I reached out to the casting director. I said, look, you know, and I talked to Tony as well, who was really helpful with, you know, bouncing ideas off of for casting. And I said, uh, you know, there's this actor, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's unbelievable. Um, I'm not sure he'd do this, but let's take a shot. And uh, to Paul's credit, now, you know, for, for this little, you know, for this little film from a budgetary standpoint, um, you know, he read the script that day, he was in Michigan and he flew himself back on his own dime to come to set then two day, to be there two days later to shoot. and. That day is the day that, that we shot that staple scene. I mean, you know, his energy, the thing that you see on screen that's so special is present in him all the time. He's one of those people who everybody who meets him falls in love with him. Um, and that day we had already done a couple of scenes where he just cracked everybody up. And we were doing shooting that scene with, um, with Rizwan and with Tony in the office. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, if, if we have time after you get it, after you get what you need, can I have one more take? And at this point, I, I would have given him 20 takes, he was, <laughs> you know, knowing that something great was going to happen. But, uh, you know, if we had the time, I said, absolutely. And so uh, we're, we're shooting and he takes the um, takes the staple in the middle of the scene. And it's a scene where he's uh, he's defending Sid from his boss who fired his old boss who fired him and trying yep. to get him, you know, compensation. And, and he's, he's, <laughs> he grabs the stapler and, and he said, like, yeah, in defense of him saying, uh, you know, if you, if you ever, you know, hurt my client again, uh, you know, I, I'll do something. And then Greg grabs him, uh, uh, you know, I'll staple my hand. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, is he going to actually staple his hand? And he's like, I I'll do it. I'll do it. And sure enough, he stapled his hand. And we're all sitting there just trying not to break. And Tony's sitting there trying not to break. And Rizwan does not know what's going on. If you watch that, the, the, the piece that's in the film. Exactly right. I can see him kind of looking to the left. And I imagine that's where you guys are off screen going like, what the hell is happening right now? Oh, and then it's what's so what's so disappointing with how we ended up using in the film is that, it, that what my actual favorite part of the, of the way that uh, it played out. So he staples his hand and he's in pain and he's shaking his hand and uh, and they're and they're trying not to break. And he said and he holds his hand up and he goes that this is a staple in a man's hand for a friend. <laughs> It's an break then was like impossible. Riz is about to lose it. And then the brilliant Tony Hale takes the stapler and moves it away from Paul Walter Hauser. <laughs> it's like the perfect button to the scene. So I, I hope uh, I hope I'm able to to put that out. We, we didn't have the, the ability to put that onto the uh, the the deleted scenes and I should have. I, I, I wonder if it's too late when for the DVD. I'm gonna try to get it out there because it's really just so special well if you can that'll be awesome because i love to see that 
Um, yeah. You know, the, the film is really interesting as well in that, you know, it, it touches on something that's really happening quite a bit, um, especially in regards to relations to the internet and social media. And that's sort of the, the whole thing of cancel culture. Um, as, as they say, the internet is forever. And uh, no matter when people post things or how they do it, it could be something really innocent or whatever, they could delete it. Like people can dig up this stuff and like really can ruin a person's life. And, and I think Sid in this movie he is in many ways his own worst enemy but it's also it seems to me he's also become always almost a victim as well of a society that really thrives on humiliation um do you do you you think like when writing this movie writing this movie especially when adapting it to the social media kind of morals of today did that whole kind of cancel culture aspect really something that really kind of stuck with you in regards to what's happening with Sid in, in his story it did. And it's funny how from the time that I started writing it to the time that we're releasing the movie, how things have gotten much more uh, drastic in terms of the way and how and and the ways that people are, are attacking others online for the things that they've said and done. And a lot of this is, is stuff that's, um, you know, uh, things, you know, neg- real negative things that people are, are pointing out in people's pasts and things that, you know, that are that are potentially deserving of um, of shining a light on. Other times they're a little more um, in that gray area where, you know, sometimes people say things that they thought were funny or maybe they were things that were funny at, in that moment in time. You know, com- the idea of what what is appropriate for making jokes is this whole um, hot button subject that I, you know, I certainly didn't want to make that a part of the film because I didn't think that was necessary for Sid's story. But I, but I do think that this idea of um, picking on people, uh, low hanging fruit is something that, you know, we as a society have, have always had, and this is just a different way of doing it. You know, the, the kids who get picked on in school um, are just now have another way of being picked on. And, um, and, and, Obviously, there's there's great uses for um, you know for social media and defending p- people who potentially can't get um, you know can't speak for themselves or or have been taken advantage of, but that's not what th- this story was about. Somebody who was who had good intentions, who was trying to connect with people, and this idea of um, you know stalking, which is I I, I actually I, I don't particularly like that word with when it when it's used in connection with Sid's story because I I don't think there's anything stockish about what he's doing I mean he's he's reaching out to somebody who he felt was a friend yeah uh, and in a time when he doesn't really have anybody else to to talk to in his life this becomes his you know his sort of sounding board and uh his lifeboat and and he you know there was a post that that we shot that that um you know, that we took out of the film, which maybe in hindsight, it, it, it would, it was something that I loved it, but the pacing of the movie was becoming the, the primary factor. And he, you know, he's, he, he tells Elizabeth Banks that, you know, he knows that she's not reading, he knows she's probably not reading these posts and he's just doing this kind of out of, uh, out of habit. Um, and that, that I think, I, I, I hope people still do get that. I, I think that there's an element of this being a sort of confessional for him to, you know, get out his, his feelings to someone, you know, even if it's just a, a Facebook page. So I, I, yeah, I, I, all this to say that I hope that people look at, at his 
um, misadventures on social media and think twice about, you know, posting something nasty about somebody or, you know, or, or, uh, or something, a, 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 a video or a, um, you know, uh, a movie or a book or whatever it is, you know, there's, there's ways to articulate uh, wh what do you think without being uh, nasty? And I think we've, you know, we need, our, as a society, we need to get better at that. I, I think so too. And for me, Sid's story is one almost kind of like of, a, of acceptance. There's a there's a, a part in the movie where he talks about um, his, uh, you know, time with Elizabeth Banks in college and at the, at the lowest part of his life, she uh, accepted him for who he was and that's where the kind of like eat weedy slogan kind of came from it's kind of like a positive kind of like keep your chin up kind of thing as well and it's definitely something that stuck with him and he himself at that time has gone for a low part of his life and i think that's what a lot of people need to understand too sometimes on the internet you don't know who he is behind the keyboard they could be going through something really bad in their life they could be suffering some some, some type of uh, mental kind of like break at that moment um anything could be going on and i think people just need to cut other people slack and and, and I think what's really important about this um, movie, Eat Weedies, is that it's a story that's entertaining, but it's also really, it's thought-provoking. It makes you kind of think twice about, um, you know, what it is to be a person on social media as well. Um, and I, I just can't recommend it enough for people to check it out. So April 30, uh, releasing in US theaters and also on digital. Um, and I'm sure that from then on, will be out in other regions as well. And uh, I really recommend people check out um, Eat Weedies and, and Scott, I, I just look I thank you very much for your time today um, I know you've been so very busy um, promoting this film so it's terrific to talk to you and again I just want to say um, thank you for joining me and congrats with the movie thanks for having me I really appreciate it